Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. continue in the series that we have been in, in a No Fear series, and, and even last week, we kind of hit the pause button with Pastor Dino coming and, and, and sharing or sending up the, the virtual message, but even his message really kind of dealt with fear of, even with the little boy having to offer up what was his uh, in the hands of Jesus to be able to provide for many people, but I'm going to kind of review a little bit. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about is that the Bible says, that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And one of the things that we've talked about in this series is that fear is not an emotion, that fear is a spirit, that, and that fear always comes from the enemy, and that most of the time, the enemy sows fear into our life to try to hinder us from being who God has called us to be, from trying to step out in faith or, or obeying what the Word of God says to do. We talked about a fear of failure, and, and many times that because we're afraid that our gift wouldn't be enough, or our talents aren't enough, or what we have isn't enough, that we, we uh, don't offer God our time and our talent that we have for him to use for the kingdom of God. We don't invite people to church. We don't witness to people. We don't speak the truth in love because we're afraid we're going to stumble over our words and mess up. But if you've ever heard me preach, you know that stumbling over your words is just part of the game. It happens. And if you were at nine o'clock service, you know it happened a lot at the beginning of the sermon at nine o'clock. But hopefully we'll get this one out a little bit smoother. But, but fear of failure is something that you've just got to press through and realize that that's the enemy trying to hold you back, and you do it afraid. We talked about the fear in relationships, about opening up yourself, connecting with other believers. Many people are afraid to connect into small groups or let people know them because they're afraid that if people really know what's going on inside of them, that they'll reject them, and, and how that God's design is that we are better together, that, that we strengthen one another, that iron sharpens iron, that we get strength in the numbers that we have and that we connect to other believers and other people in, in the household of God. And, and then uh, the other thing we talked about is how fear really will silence the gift that is within you. Uh, in Timothy, that's the context of that scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is telling Timothy that I, there is a gift that is inside of you. I, uh, it came by the laying on of my hands. I know there's faith inside of you. It was in your grandmother. It was in your mom. I know it's inside of you. And you need to step out in faith, stir up that gift, because God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you power, love, and a sound mind. And we even looked at the parable of the talents and how the parable of the talents how, and the parable of the minas in Luke, Luke chapter 19 is the parable of the minas. Matthew chapter 25 is the parable of the talents. In both situations, the third person said, I knew you were a hard man and I was afraid. And so I came and I'm just bringing you back 
what uh, you gave me. And here's the thing is God's design is not that we just maintain the gifts, the talents, and abilities, the time, the talent, the treasures that he has given us, but he wants us to multiply it. If you even think about it, when God called Abraham out from among his people, he said, I want to bless you, and through you, I want to bless the nations of the world. And so you can see that God's desire is that God blesses his people, and that the people in the communities and people who come in contact with us are blessed through us. God's design was never that people would be dependent upon the government for different things, but that the church would meet the needs of all the individuals. And you see that in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit fell, they go out, they, they preach, and then when you begin to see the church birth, you see that they were meeting together not just in the synagogues and the temples, but they were meeting together in the homes. They were meeting together and they were praying together in the homes. And it says that they shared all things together and they met the needs of other individuals. And I think that really, even the fact that this year that we are taking and giving our uh, miracle offering that we receive in the other ministries and other churches is it's it's the will of God because God did not uh, call iHeart Church to be segregated from Memorial Baptist Church from Family Worship Center from all these different churches. God's design is that we are all one body in Christ, that we are all His people, and we are all fighting the same enemy for the same purpose to build His kingdom, not ours. And I love it that we have that opportunity this year to sow into that. But if you look in context of the parable of the talents, a talent was a measure of money. A talent was a measure of silver. A talent was a measure of gold. It was weighted based on different uh, uh, scales and everything as to what it would be. A talent was uh, many days wages. It wasn't just a little bit of money. It was this, this landowner investing a large sum of money in these people for the purpose of stewardship to see what they would return when he came back. And he even told him, he said, you need to do business until I come. And really, it's a, it's a parable and a principle of what uh, Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 25. At the start of that, he said, the kingdom of God is like this. So he is telling a story of what his desire is for the kingdom of God, is that we steward the resources that God gives us well, that we just don't hold on to it, but that we are a blessing to other people that we can multiply and use what he's given us to be a blessing to other people. And this is where fear comes in. Because fear will come in and say, if I give, then I won't have enough. Let's just be 100% honest. Probably a lot of us would like to give more than what we give. Would like to give even more time, more talent, you know, whatever. But we feel if we use that, then we won't have enough for what we need. And you know what that is? It's a specific type of fear it's a spirit of poverty. And our area has a great spirit of poverty that is upon it. And, and you can see it even in the way that we do things a lot of times. Do, do we have any yard sellers in here? Like, y'all, you're, you're just, don't be mad at me over this next part and don't send me any mean emails or anything. But even think about the concept of a yard sale. We are going to lay out all of the clothes that no longer fit us. 
They, they made it into the pile of the yard sale because we don't want it. Like it's not, it's not good enough. It, it doesn't fit us anymore. It, it, it's not beneficial to us anymore, right? So what do we do with it? We take it and we mark it 50 cents, 75 cents. Oh, this is the good stuff. This is $2. And then we dare somebody to come up to us and say, well, I'll give you a dollar for that pair of jeans. And you're like, well, you can just take your dollar and go home because that's $2. And we'll argue and haggle over something that I really believe that God's desire is that we just give it away. If we have more than what we need, then why are we going to haggle over it for 50 cents when we could give it to somebody that it would be a huge blessing to? You know why? A poverty mindset. i got to get something out of this. I might need something later. So if I can sell enough of the stuff that I don't want, then maybe I'll have enough resources to buy something that I do want. As if God didn't provide all the tables and tables of stuff that we had already. And we can't trust him that if he provided all these tables when we needed it, then just because our kids grew out of their shoes, he can provide those. He provided before. Guess what? He can do it again. Even the fact, like, Melody was showing me, like, the Beckley Yard Sale page on Facebook. Y'all seen this? I think she even posted something about it the other day on Facebook. But she was showing me some of the stuff that's on that yard sale page. And I'm sitting here thinking, I wouldn't even give that to somebody. <laughs> and you won $25 for it. What the, what's going on here? It's crazy. But what is it? It's, it's a poverty mindset. It's a, if I give, then I'm not going to have enough. And many times, it, it, the, the, the poverty mindset actually hinders us from stepping into a call of God that God wants for our life. I, I know when we were moving up here to plant a church, you know, we were very comfortable where we were. And like, I, I was running a, a nonprofit organization. I was an associate pastor at a church. I, I wasn't paid by the church. So if the pastor had these mandatory things, I still had the ability to say, nah, I'm not going to make it. You know, that type of thing because he wasn't signing my paycheck and, and all that. So, but I, I, would, I would work 60 or 70 hours a week for the nonprofit organization, go volunteer for the church, did worship teams, went through three services a day, all those things, serving and all that. And everything, just using whatever I could to begin to serve in the house of God and, and everything. But, like, like, we were comfortable. It was very comfortable. We were around Melody's family and all the, the Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas dinners and, and, and then just the just because dinners. Come on, how many of you like to go to Grandma's house and stuff to get some of that just because food? Like, if I was in the Smith house, I would be over at Ms. Denise's house all the time. Just to just be like, hey, what's for dinner tonight? Just showing up. I, in fact, I may even just start that as kind of a, because we're family, Miss Denise. I might just start showing up at your house for dinner anytime. We were comfortable. And when we decided that we were going to come plant the church, let me tell you something. It took a step of faith. It, even though it was a dream that we had in our heart, that when rubber hits the road and you realize that 
your job with benefits and position and 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 security and everything that you had, the family and everything that you had, that now you're going to leave all of that and you're going to go to a town that you're not sure if anybody is even going to want to come to church or anything. You're not sure how you're going to get money. We literally took coin jars, get, passed them out to the church. They brought back their coin jars, their little leftover things. We had $15,000 in change, and that's what we moved up with. We moved into a 900-square-foot apartment because it was the only thing we could find. We didn't even see it. Uh, I was calling around trying to find something, and my friend said, I've got a 900-foot, uh, I've got a, a two-bedroom apartment, small, but if you want it, you can have it. And I was like, I'll take it. And he's like, you don't even need to look at it? I was like, no, because if we look at it, we'll probably talk ourselves out of it. I'll take it. Let's just go. And we would have talked ourselves out of it. But we had a call. So you take the step of faith. You obey. And we watched how God took $15,000 in change. We lived off for over a year before we started seeing things, income come in. And we bought the supplies and everything. And God met every need along the way. But what if we would have said, when the finances are right, then I will. Because a lot of times I believe we're very guilty of saying, well, when my finances are right, then I'll begin to tithe. When my finances are right, then I'm going to give this offering. When my finances are right, then I'll go volunteer more because I won't have to work as much overtime. Like we always put timetables and conditions on God. And God's just saying, look, if you would just take the step of faith, I'll make the finances and I'll make the things right. Will you trust me? And I believe that that spirit of poverty holds people back from stepping into the calling and the destiny and thing that God has placed on our life. I love it that we have a school full of teachers who didn't let a spirit of poverty stop them from coming to the school. Because they took drastic pay cuts. And they lost all their benefits. And they didn't know if anybody was going to show up. And when coronavirus hit, there wasn't a single one of them that even thought about, like, they didn't come tell us that they were thinking about leaving or anything. They might have thought about it. I'm sure they did. But they didn't do it. Even though there was more security, I can go back into the public school system and I can get the money that I need over staying in a Christian school that I don't even know if it's going to make it through COVID. They took a step of faith. And God is honored and God has blessed them. And so I want to talk to you today about some weapons that God gives us to break that poverty mentality and that poverty spirit when the enemy tries to attack us. The first one is this. The first weapon that we have is the tithe. And I know as soon as I said that, like it's like, oh, here we go. Pastor Brandon trying to get a raise. He's trying to get some money. Look, I, I want to show you something. I do not work on commission. If tithe goes up, I don't make more money. I don't, I don't work on a percentage of the income that comes in. My, my salary is set by board and, and all of that. And in fact, my board had to come in last year and form another board to make sure that I would actually take the raises that I was supposed to be taking because five out of the eight years that I've been here, I haven't even taken a raise. Because I want to be able to get up here and speak about money without people thinking that I'm after their money. Because I'm not. It's not about me trying to get your money. It's not about me trying to do that. It's about understanding that when we understand the way that the principles of God works in the areas of money, then it can position us to be healthier in our homes because one of the number one things that brings divorce into a household is financial issues. 
So if we can secure our homes to where our finances are where they need to be, then there's going to be a whole lot less tension and a whole lot less fighting and things that are in the house. And it's going to help secure our homes, which then allows our kids to be raised with both of their parents around and all of these things. And then it also puts you in a position where you can be blessed so that you can bless other people so that we can help the hurting people that live around us. Because not all of the blessing that God wants to do is supposed to be done through church-related outreaches. Some of it is because God wants to lay it on your heart to go around your neighborhood and cook cookies for the people that live in your neighborhood. And you go love on them and you go bless them. But if we don't understand the principles when it comes to finances, then we won't step into them, we won't operate in them. We'll always allow that poverty spirit to keep us where we are. So the tithe shouldn't be a Christian curse word. In fact, it is one of the very things that positions us for the blessing of God to be in our life. The tithe, in the, in the Hebrew, the, the word for tithe simply means a tenth. They're, they're interchangeable. And so through Scripture, anytime it says a tenth, it's talking about a tithe. Anytime it says a tithe, it's talking about a tenth. And, and it's, a, it's the same word in, in Proverbs chapter 3. It says this, it says, you need to honor the Lord your God from your wealth and from the first of all of your produce. Anytime it relates to the first, it's talking about the tithe because it, the, what we're supposed to do is not give God the last 10%. He wants us to trust him with the first 10%. But you know why a lot of people don't trust God with the first 10%? Because they're like, well, if I give that 10%, I can't make it on 100%. How in the world am I gonna make it on 90% when I can't make it on 100. You want to know how? The God factor. What's the God factor? Malachi tells us what the God factor is. God's rebuking the, the nation of Israel, and he's telling them, he said, listen, you're robbing God. They said, well, how are we robbing you? You're robbing me in tithes and offerings, and because of that, you are cursed with a curse. How many of you ever felt like, when you weren't tithing or whatever, that it seems like things always kept breaking. Like no matter what, the minute your paycheck hit the account, like it's gone. You know, there's always these things that, that go wrong and it seems like everything financially can go wrong, will go wrong. Your hours get cut, your pay gets cut, all of these different things. Well, it's because there's a curse when you rob from what God what, what's God's? It says that uh, you are cursed with a curse because you robbed me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse or bring it into my house so that there may be food in my house. Why does he want food in his house? It's not because God is hungry. <laughs> it's because he wants there to be resources in the house so that the church can meet the needs of those who don't have it. It was always God's design. Even when you look in the law, when they would reap a harvest of a field, they would say, leave the corners of the field. Why? So that a widow person or a poor person can come by and they can eat from the harvest. They, they made sure that they didn't even, when they harvested, they didn't even harvest at all because they wanted to leave uh, supply and everything for the, the, those who were poor. And he goes on and he says, test me in this and see if I will not open windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you until it overflows. Now, I know the first thing that a lot of people are going to say, well, Pastor Brandon, those are all Old Testament scriptures. And, you know, so I'm under the new covenant now. And so the new covenant, you know, God, he, he destroyed the law. No, no, no. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. 
He said, I came to fulfill the law. And you even look, Jesus even taught on a tithe in one place that doesn't even look like it's a tithe message. But you remember when the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were all coming at Jesus and they were, you know, they were trying to trick him and deceive him. And they, they came to him and they were asking the question of, am I supposed to pay taxes? You know, the government's all evil and they do stuff wrong with my money and, and everything. Should we pay taxes? And Jesus said, let me, let me see that coin. He said, whose picture is on this coin? He said, Caesar's. He said, well, render under Caesar what is Caesar's and render under God, unto God, what is God's. Some of you are like, well, where's the tithe? What is God's? Remember, who's he talking to? Because when we read our Bible, we don't need to just read it. We need to know who is the target audience and everything. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees were people who studied the law. They knew the law inside and out. They knew every little piece of what it was. In fact, a Pharisee, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be able to quote the first five books of the Bible. They had to know all of that. So they had to know all that stuff in Leviticus about if you got a boil and it's got a white hair in it and, you know, all that nasty stuff that were like why in the world is that in there you know all that stuff about quarantine that even before corona god knew about quarantining and and all this stuff you know it's amazing how wise god is when it comes to this type of thing they are experts in the law so when they say the phrase render render unto god what is god's they knew what was god's because in Leviticus, the law, and in other places, not just in this passage of Leviticus, but in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, Thus, all of the tithe of the land, the seed of the land, the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. And it is holy to the Lord's. Render under God, what is God's? What is God's? The tithe. What did Malachi say? You're robbing me. How can you rob somebody if you're not taking something that's theirs? We have to understand that all of the resources that we have, that God provided it, but he only says that a tenth of the resources is his. He says that that tenth or that tithe, that that's mine, and it's supposed to be set aside for me and brought into my storehouse so that my economy can work of how I provide for my people, so that the people of God can be a blessing to those people that are not there. And here's the thing. You want to even go farther? Why it's not under the law? The tithe was instituted even before the law. And the Pharisees knew this as well. In Genesis chapter 4, like way back in the Bible, you see the first tithe. Remember, Cain brought an offering. Abel brought the first fruit of his, his crops and his field, and he offered it to the Lord. What is that? It's a tithe. It's the first fruits. It's the tenth. It's what he brought to the Lord. Think about this. Genesis chapter 14. Abraham. You know, God had called him out from among his people, was blessing him with everything. One day, his nephew Lot, you remember they kind of separated uh, land because of, of the, they didn't have enough uh, food and water and stuff for both flocks. And so Abraham let Lot go where he wanted to go. Lot went and settled in around the area around Sodom and Gomorrah. When Genesis chapter 14, these kings come and fight against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. They take Lot and his whole family and everything that they own. They take them uh, captive and they take them off to another nation. 
And Abraham hears about this. He joins together all his 400 servants and people that are with him. He goes. He fights them in battle. He not only brings back Lot and the things. He brought back the spoils of battle. And on his way back, he encounters a man named Melchizedek, who is the prince of Salem, which Salem means peace. Hebrews says that when, when, uh, when Abraham tithed to him, that, that Melchizedek blessed him. And it says that Melchizedek has no genealogy, has no beginning and no end. Who does that sound like? Jesus. And so this is a Christophany. So Abraham wins this mighty battle. He's got these resources and stuff that he's coming back with. He encounters God and he makes an altar and begins to worship God by giving him a tenth of everything that he owns. Now, a lot of times we don't think of tithe as worship because when we think of worship, we think about the songs that we just sang. But worship is so much more than the songs that we sing. Worship is really what do we do with what God has given us? With our time, our talent, our treasures, do we offer it back to God? Do we realize that everything that we have is from him? And so God, if you want me to do that for you, I don't care how afraid I am. I don't care about what attacks it may be. God, I'm worshiping you with my life. Because my time, my talent, my gifts, my treasures are all yours. Even in Genesis chapter 28, you see Jacob, who wasn't quite as, as holy of a man as Abraham was, but he obviously had learned and heard lessons because in Genesis chapter 28, he talks to God and, and he tells God that he's going to honor him with the tithe. In Genesis 28 verse 20, go ahead and pull that up. It says, Jacob made a vow. He said, God, if you'll be with me, if you'll keep me on this journey that, that I'm getting ready to take, if you'll give me food to eat, garments to wear, and then I will return to my father's house in safety, and you will be my Lord. So he's even bargaining with God. He's like, God, if, if you just, you're with me, and you provide for me. You give me food, and you give me some clothes, then I'm going to make you my Lord. I'm going to make you. And I, I look around here, and thank God everybody is fully clothed, even got masks on your face. I look around here, and doesn't look like anybody's starving right now. You probably had some Thanksgiving dinner. You had breakfast this morning. Maybe some of you are like, Pastor Brandon, I wish you'd just be quiet because my stomach is growling a little bit and I don't want this to go too long. I got to hurry up and get over to the restaurant and beat the lines and beat the crowds. You're here safely. There's a lot of people that are in ICU rooms and everything because they contracted coronavirus and are in we can't even enter into a church building because there's, there's soldiers waiting outside and not allowing them into the building. So God's met every one of these qualifications. He goes on and he says, this stone that I'm going to set up is a pillar. This is going to be God's house for me. And with all that you give me, I'm surely going to give you a tenth. He says, God, if you... If you just form me, if you just provide for me, if you take care of me, I'm, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to bring the tenth back to you. See, the tithe really is about recognition of what God has given us. It's always been God's desire is that it's an act of worship, not, an act, not, not like a bill. It's not like, oh, I've got to pay the tithe again, like you're frustrated about paying a mortgage or insurance or something like that. Second thing, weapon that we have is offerings. 
Offerings are when you give something above and beyond the tithe. Now, offerings also are what you give outside of the church. So, and this is, this is one of those things that people need to understand. The tithe is supposed to go into your storehouse. So I know many of you, this isn't your home church. You go to another church. So your tithe doesn't come to this church. Anything, if you, you put a $5 bill when you leave, you, you know, out the thing, then that's an offering. But your tithe should go to your home church because that's what keeps that home church operating and functioning and, and fulfilling the ministry and everything that God has, has called them to do. And so your tithe goes to your, your home church, the place where you're fed, the place where you're, you're ministering and connecting your gift to. Your offering can go anywhere. It can go to mission field. It can go to, uh, you know, a missionary. It can go to uh, a, a organization that you, you really like what they, they do to, to uh, feed the community or whatever. That's, that's above and beyond the tithe. One of the first places you see it is in Exodus chapter 25. And I think it's interesting the way that they did this. It said the whole congregation, they're getting ready to build the tabernacle. It said when they departed from Israel, they, they departed from Moses' presence. And each one whose heart stirred him and everyone who the Spirit moved him began to bring the Lord's contribution for the work of the, the tent of meeting. Now I want you to know, is again, it wasn't each one who felt obligated because the pastor wasn't going to shut up until we raised a certain amount of money. The offering is something that when God speaks to you, and that's why when we do a miracle offering, we're like, hey, just begin to pray about what God would want you to give into the offering. And if he tells you not to give anything, then don't give anything. If he tells you to give $5, then give $5. If he tells you to give more, give more, whatever it is. Don't give more, don't give less than what God tells you to give. Just be obedient in what he tells you to give. It says that these people begin to bring contribution for the, the service and for the holy garments. Those uh, whose hearts moved within them, both men and women. And uh, they brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets and articles of gold. And they presented it as, a, as an offering of gold. Every man with his own possessions, blue and purple and scarlet uh, material and fine linen and goat's hair and, and ram skins and porpoise skins. They, they brought them all. And, and I just want to kind of interject this real quick. Next week, we will not be taking up an offering of porpoise skins or, or goat skins or anything. If that's your thing, then maybe you can find somebody else who can use that. But, but we, we don't, don't know of any uh, ministry or anything that we can give that to. So, you know, if you want to do the research and find who takes up porpoise skins, then you can do that on your own time. But it goes on and says, everyone who made a contribution of gold and silver, they brought it to the, to the Lord. And everyone who had uh, possession of acacia wood for the, the woodwork, uh, they, they brought it. Skilled woman spun with their hands and they brought it uh, in blue and purple and scarlet linens. Uh, all the women whose hearts stirred within them, they, they spun goat's hair, and, and the rulers brought onyx and stones for the setting of the ephod and for the breastplate, the, the spices and the oil and for the lighting and the anointing oil for the fragrance incense. And, and the Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them would bring materials for the work which the Lord commanded and Moses, or through Moses to be done. And they brought it look, as a free will offering. Not out of an obligation. This was God moved in their heart. I've been blessed. Maybe some people are like, I'm not very blessed right now. In fact, things are kind of tight for me. If you notice, a lot of what they gave didn't even have to do with money. It was just some possession that they had. You think about the little boy's lunch that Pastor Dino 
taught on last week. It was, it was just one lunch to feed 25, 30,000 people. It just seemed so insignificant. But when you take the one lunch and you put it in the hands of Jesus, a miracle can take place. See, there's a mentality, and that mentality is a poverty spirit. All I have is this. Think about this. The woman in, in 1 Kings chapter 7, the widow woman who Elijah approaches her in Zarephath and says, I want you to go make me a cake. And she's like, all I have is a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. He said, okay, go make me what you have. Let me have it first. And that woman and her son and Elijah all ate on all that she had when she thought what she had was only enough for her and her son to eat one meal before they starved to death. Why? Offered it into the hand of God. God, I trust you. I'll give you this. When we just take what's in our hand and we put it in the hand of God, God can work miracles through it. In all honesty, what we're going to be able to raise you know, next week and over the next couple of weeks in miracle offering, it's not going to solve world hunger. But if we just take what we have and put it into the hands of God, God will take it farther than we ever thought it would be able to do. When we started cooking during coronavirus early on, we started cooking like 100 meals, trying to just meet the needs of some of the kids who weren't getting school lunch and everything at the beginning of coronavirus. We didn't realize, we didn't have the money or anything and, and realize that we were gonna end up cooking 28,000 meals over the course of three weeks four weeks all we had was enough to do a hundred so we took the step of faith and we offered God the hundred and then people start writing checks tithe even went up in the middle of a pandemic tithe went up which created more tithe money to be able to to give and meet the needs and we've still been able to continue that where every week on every Friday we're feeding about 125 to 150 people in Mount Hope every single week. And we're just taking what we have in our hand and we offer it to God. But how we give it matters. God doesn't want us to be begrudging. He doesn't want it to be an out of obligation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Now I say to you, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do as he's purposed in his heart. Again, that's why we tell you in advance what we're doing so that you can pray and purpose in your heart what God's calling you to do. Don't give it begrudgingly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. You know, don't stay home next week or tune off next week because you think we're going to be up here. All right, lock the doors until we get a certain amount of money. We're going to come in. We're going to put worship music on. Have some buckets in the front where you can come and just bring your gift and lay it on the altar. Spend a minute in worship. We're just going to worship God as we give. Why? Because giving has always been supposed to be about an act of worship. He goes on and says, And the God who is able uh, to make all grace abound towards you, so that you always have all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed how does the abundance come when we willingly cheerfully say God all I have is yours as you lead me I'm going to give it I'm going to sow it into your kingdom
And here's the thing, it doesn't always happen in church. A lot of your offerings are gonna be in Walmart when you see somebody trying to find money and they're frustrating you because they're holding up the checkout line. And they're like, here, take this off. Here, take this off. And you just step up and say, hey, let me just cover that bill. You just swipe your card. A lot of your offerings are going to be from people that you encounter that I'll never meet. That God says, hey, you need to bless them with the coat that you're wearing. You need to bless them with $20 that you have in your pocket. Because God wants us to be givers that when God moves on our heart that he can give. Because here's the thing. He says, I I think it's even in that passage right after that verse. It says, "He, he who gives seed to the sower not not seed to the eater not seed to the hoarder seed to the sower see God isn't going to bless you with more if what you have in your hands he can't get out of your hands into somebody else's hands because his desire remember is that we are blessed to be a blessing not just so that we are blessed so that we can show everybody our big possessions and show how great God is by how we're blessed. You know what that shows the world? Selfishness. Greed. Because there's a lot of people who look at people who build the bigger houses and the jet planes and all the different, you know, name it and claim it type things that, they, that are out there. And they're like, how many people could they have fed if they weren't fueling that jet? How many people... Could they have fed if they didn't have four houses and build a mansion? But when they hear that you're blessed, but you take the resources you have to bless other people, you know what they're saying? Wow. There's something different about that person. There's a spirit of generosity. You know what you're showing them? God. Why? Because God is a generous God. He gives seed to the sower. God so loved the world that what he gave he sets the example in everything here's a verse in Philippians that a lot of people love to quote this verse especially in kind of the prosperity movement of things Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says this and my God shall supply all of your riches and all of your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Come on, how many of you heard that used in a sermon? My God's going to supply all your needs, whatever you want, just you can have it. There's a secret when you read the Word of God. It's called context. Do I believe that God supplies our needs? Yes, 100%. He does. But there's this specific group of people. One of the things when you read the Word of God, this is a Bible college moment for you here. What was the original author saying to the original reader okay so let's identify original author is paul okay through the holy spirit paul the reader is the church in philippi now if you go a few verses before this there's another verse that we like i can do all things through christ who gives me strength you know what that one's talking about enduring hardship And then after the enduring hardship, when he talks about all the things that they've endured, but I can do all things through Christ. He tells the church in Philippi, he said, when we were in need in this city, you sent me a free will offering. 
And then again, when we were in this city and we had a need, you sent another offering. And because you've been faithful to meet my needs in other cities and other places that aren't even related to your church, then my God will supply all of your needs according to your riches, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This verse is a promise to people who are faithful to give, not just to everybody. I want iHeart Church to be a church. And we're proving it. Already we, we've done a lot of missions, we've done a lot of things. But I believe God has far greater things in store for our church. There's a far greater impact and, and reach that God has. Even through COVID, things that the enemy thought was going to shut things down. Through COVID, we ended up having to do a virtual conference for women's conference. Now there's women in other states around that are joining in and, and being a part of the women's ministry and connecting in and being discipled and trained. Not only here, but in, in Jerusalem, in, in Israel, there are two to three women's groups that are now every month going to be joining in in small groups and meeting and hearing the word of God uh, preached and, and, and grow that church and being discipled and being trained because we didn't look at a rise and say, well, if we can't be in the clay center, we're not going to have the resources to pull this off. We're not going to be able to do this. It costs a lot of money to do a conference. It costs, it's a lot of frustration. It's a lot of headache. Maybe we should just pack it up and do it next year. No, we pressed in, we prayed and we made it happen. And the amazing thing is, is that God provided more money than what the conference cost with only a handful of people in the room. And it's reaching the nations. God, all we can do is have 150 people in the room. We can stream it online, write a couple devotionals, and try to. You just take what you have, all I got, put it in His hand, and watch what God does with it. I want you to bow your heads for just a second. I want you to just take a second and just ask God, God, were you speaking to me through this? For some of you, it is, he wants you to test him in a tithe. And if you're in that case and you're not a tither and everything, and then I just take baby steps. Trust God with the tithe and don't worry about the offering next week. Don't even worry about it. Just watch what God does when you're faithful in the tithe. And then when you see how he provides, then as he speaks to your heart, then continue to have that spirit of generosity. Break that spirit of poverty in your life. For some of you, God's talking to you about your gift. God's talking to you about relationships that you have that he's put you in that household. He's put you around those people so that you could share truth and in love. And you're holding back your time or you're holding back your talent. It's amazing when things get tight how we cut God out first. When our lives get busy, we cut out church and we cut out quiet time. When our finances get tight, we cut out tithe and we cut out offerings. When we get busy with doing things, we cut out serving. 
here's the thing. God is not going to sit there and yell at you and fuss at you if you cut him out. (laughs) But when you try to cut out your flesh, your flesh will yell and scream when you try to cut out those things in your life. God, I just thank you for your word, that it's living and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, God, that you use it to accomplish your purposes, Father. God, I just pray that whatever you're speaking to each individual's heart, God, God, I pray that they don't allow fear to stop them from taking a step of faith whether it's offering their gift or offering their talent or their time or their treasure, God. I pray that that we're not maintainers of what you give us, God, but we're multipliers, Father. God, I pray against fear that would hold us back from being who you've called us to be, being a blessing to all those around us, God. Father, speak to our hearts and we learn your voice. You said that your sheep know your voice and no other will they follow. So God, may we learn your voice in our everyday life, God, so that we can fulfill your plan and your will for our lives. Father, we love you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.